step forward. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Then and Now podcast, best podcast in the world. This is a very special episode. Obviously, there are two people that you guys don't see very often and one person you've probably never seen at all on the channel. We have Danny. We brought Danny back for our interview for our very special esteemed guest, Tom Devlin. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Yeah, no problem. We have heard if you people, if you guys have watched our stuff from the beginning, you've from our interview with Danny to I think uh, her interview with Chris. And just, I think Alex Mason also said, I don't know if he said he met you, if he worked with you on a, on a project before. Oh, everybody, yeah. yeah, everybody said they have, they've had great experiences with you. So we, we love horror here. We could, we had to get you on. So thanks okay. for coming. Some of them have had good experiences. <laughs> <laughs> we got a, the, the first preliminary softball question that I have to ask everybody on the interview is your upbringing, your early upbringing, how you got into the industry that you work in now. What got you interested in horror in particular? You know, I started as a kid from the 80s and I loved He-Man. Um, grew up loving He-Man and Conan and uh, fantasy stuff. And uh, like that morphed into the 90s. It became Ninja Turtles and Toxic Crusaders. And I don't know, I just, I, I, I actually really was into comic books and just characters. And uh, it took until like high school that I became obsessed with, you know, in your later teens, you want to watch horror movies and you know get to see boobs and blood and monsters and <laughs> I learned about a guy named Tom Savini I grew up next to a family uh, the Frazettas they're very famous comic book artists uh, so uh, Frank Frazetta Sr. was probably the king of fantasy art you know he, he created everything from the heavy metal covers to uh, Conan the Barbarian and all Glenn Danzig stuff. So I was really a fan of Frank Frazetta and his son, Bill, introduced me to uh, a book by a guy named Tom Savini, who was a makeup effects artist. And I just kind of changed my perspective and my trajectory. From there, I decided I really wanted to make monsters and do horror films. That's amazing. So in your after you know, so now we've heard the introduction and we brought up Tom Savini now. Did you would you say you modeled a lot of what you do after Tom? Or did you have a mentor in particular that helped you? I have mentors for sure. Uh, a guy, but the Tom Savini um, connection, you know, I was 14, 15 when I got the Grand Illusions book. So it was like a how-to book, but also paired with his story of, of each film and each project he did. So you got to see a lot of Tom's personality in that book, along with how to make blood gags and how to do this and that. Um, where I've modeled my career after Tom is... I didn't move to LA wanting to be one of Rick Baker's guys working on Men in Black. I I moved to LA wanting to be Tom Savini. Like I wanted to be the guy with my mm. own team. And I didn't want to do, I, I was never super interested in the big budget Hollywood uh, world, which I have a lot of experience in actually, but it wasn't my goal. I wanted to do like Tom Savini, like low budget horror films and stay non-union and stay off the, off the radar of like the academy wasn't my goal all right you said that you had um other mentors throughout your career yeah um, there's a so early in my career not to cut you off were you no 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 early early in my career i uh like the beginning i were i got hired at a place called wm creations um when i was like 19 and that was on a show called the x-files so i worked on x-files season eight and nine 
there. And then I did a movie called The Scorpion King and a movie called The Tuxedo were my first two films. With those movies, not only Matthew Mungle, who owned the company, who's an Academy Award-winning makeup artist from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, he's a multiple Emmy Award-winning makeup artist. His tutelage was awesome, but he really just oversaw everything going on. He wasn't active in the shop, but there was a couple figures in that shop, one being a guy named Tim Considine. Tim Considine was responsible for all the makeup effects for Trauma Entertainment. And uh, he had done Toxic Avenger Part 4, Terror Firmer, uh, some stuff on Tromeo and Juliet, Toxic Avenger 2 and 3. And I was that that's the Hollywood I wanted to work in, which was like not Hollywood, just low budget crap. And right. Tim, Tim had created all of this stuff. And uh, he took me under his wing because I, I pulled up in this old van with trauma posters inside the van and they knew right when I was there they called me a squid and whatever made fun of the fact that I was such a fan but he took me under his wing and taught me so much and he wasn't nice like he was really a gruff New Yorker he was a he was kind of an asshole and he would you know you're killing me Devlin get the fuck what the fuck are you doing you know he was there was some tough love and uh but everything Tim taught me I have retained and gone on to uh, build upon and then also there was a guy there who was the complete opposite his name was Clinton Wayne and Clinton he's now I think the department head on Grimm uh, but he uh, he was very meticulous and and his detail oriented his his stuff was uh, beautiful and uh but he was so calm and and even mannered. And then after I left WM, me and Clinton did some uh, CSI Miami stuff together in his garage, and we bonded so hardcore. And uh, we made this twenty foot anaconda, and uh, it was cool because I saw this master, this guy. He was already an Emmy Award winner, um, but there was things he didn't know how to do with the fiberglass mold making and stuff that Tim had taught me while I was working with him. So both Tim Constantine and Clinton Wayne are probably my, what I would call my mentors. Yeah. That's awesome. And then there's, there's, there's been mentors that are not makeup effects related, like like Charles Band. We talked a lot about, I've heard you guys mention Full Moon and stuff. Mm-hmm. Charles Band uh, and Lloyd Kaufman and, and these filmmakers that have, um, they've worked with the best and they expect the best out of the people they work with. So they'll really put a lot of, uh, you know, at the time being compared or, or contrasted to these other artists is kind of, sometimes it can hurt your spirits or feel like you're being demeaned. Uh, there's a guy named Mike Pfeiffer, a producer I worked with, and he would constantly compare me to his last makeup artist. Looking back, I realized he was trying to make me understand what they were doing better than I was. So. I get it. And and I, I do. Charles Band is a mentor of mine. Stuart Gordon and and, uh, and Mike Pfeiffer. These people, they taught me how to make movies, you know, not just makeup effects. I know how to make makeup effects, but they taught me how to make movies. That's awesome. So we, you discussed Full Moon. Can you tell me a little bit about what Full Moon means to you and uh, your relationship yeah. with Full Moon? So Full Moon means more to me than uh, most people. You know, a lot of people look at it as a, a cheesy you know, cash grab of, of low budget horror. But growing up, I, um, I love low budget. I, I was very punk. Like I love the punk scene. I grew up in a DIY punk scene. So 
these movies from Trauma Entertainment or Full Moon Entertainment were that version of punk rock, you know? Uh, they were they were like, screw the system, we'll do it on our own, we'll put it out ourselves, and we'll build a fan base on our own. And I was, a, I still am a big part of that fan base. And uh, coming to Hollywood, all I wanted to do was work for Full Moon and Trauma. And that's why I kind of did my career backwards. Like I worked on the biggest Hollywood stuff for the first three years. Um, and then kind of earned my stripes at places like Full Moon and Trauma. And, and I've done a lot of Full Moon stuff now, but uh, there's uh, three different books that I've written about in at this point for my, my contribution to Full Moon. And that is, uh, man, it, it's, that's the life dream for me. That's all. I mean, I'm wearing a, right now a Puppet Master crew shirt. Danny's got on the Blade Iron Cross shirt. Like Puppet Master and Full Moon is more important to me than uh than just crappy low budget movies that they are it's it's about achieving what i wanted to do when i was 14. would you say that that relationship is one of your biggest accomplishments in your career yeah i would i I tell people all the time too like it's funny because especially industry people when you talk about full moon it's a stepping stone it's the spot that uh, you know, you get your start in or whatever. And I've kind of lived my career there. So it is, it's a huge accomplishment for me. And, and, uh, I have a museum in, in Nevada and when the full moon fan, I had a guy named Mason Egan come in the other day. He's a huge full moon fan. He knew everything that I had done. And, uh, I gave him a guided tour. We, he, we could just talk for hours. Um, and as you guys will see, I can talk for hours. So just cut me off whenever. We love makes for good content for us uh, <laughs> in regards to museum uh, since you brought it up what what made you want to do that obviously I, most people are collectors um, like most people are but what made you take that extra step to make a public display of your collection to show everybody so that's an interesting thing too because it's not necess- I mean I guess it's a collection if somebody else owned it I would consider it a collollection everything in the museum is a one-of-a-kind work of art so it's more of an art gallery Um, there is not I don't have bought items that I'm putting on display it's not screen use stuff from underworld that I bought on eBay that's on display it's uh it's items from my own career um which not many people know about which is low budget stuff like like full moon and trauma and the asylum and then there's also uh, a walkthrough of history from the silent film era to modern day and every figure is made not necessarily screen accurate, but they're sculpted, painted, and, and displayed in a way that I would have made the characters had Tom Devlin made The Phantom of the Opera or whatever. So uh, to the what made me want to do it was my house was getting overrun with all my stuff. And uh, and I, I had this long conversation with John Carl Beekler in 2010. Uh, John Beekler being my favorite effects artist of all time, but he worked for Charles Band in Full Moon for quite a while and I had a long conversation with him about how much I love what he does and I've I've taken a lot of my style from him and uh but like you can't live off a full moon budget like if they don't have money to support a family you know and he said to me at that point what you need to do is figure out something you can do with your art to make money and then you can work for Charlie for free for the rest of your life if you want to but you don't have to and uh it took a couple years of culminating but that's basically what I did I figured out a way to make money without making movies and then 
and now I can make full moon movies because I get a paycheck. Right. That's sick. So you, you discussed working on when you're, when you're start working on the big high budget movie sets. What is some contrast that you can give us from those bigger sets to what you love to do with full moon? Well, I'm going to take it away from full moon and put it in the asylum. Okay. I work on uh, Terminator three with Arnold Schwarzenegger, a uh, huge, probably one of the biggest Hollywood movies at the time. But I also worked on Terminators for the Asylum, which was like the low budget knockoff. Uh, of and, and it was cool to get to be part of both because on Terminator 3, I made one piece of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger body, a full body that is hanging from a hook and it gets smashed all through uh, downtown LA. And I made that body. They were going to cut the scene from the movie and Arnold was like, I'll pay for the scene. It's very important. I had worked previously on Scorpion King and I made these uh, weighted bodies for this fight scene that fall out of a chandelier. And uh, Arnold's makeup artist, Jeff Don, was the makeup artist on Scorpion King. So uh, he told Arnold, hey, you know what? I know these guys, because they were using Stan Winston's studio for Terminator 3, very, very expensive. He said, I know these guys uh, that made me these bodies for Scorpion King maybe we can cut the budget a little by getting the body for the downtown thing through them instead of Stan. So me and my buddy Chuck O'Brien were hired through WM Creations to make this body of Arnold that hangs from a hook and smashes downtown. So two years later, the movie comes out, you go and see it, four seconds, you see that body, you know? And it's like, yes, I made that a part of it. <laughs> Don't have credit, I have no credit in the end doesn't matter i worked on terminator 3 cut to the asylum on terminators paul logan was brought in uh who looks like a uh, poor man's arnold schwarzenegger uh he was also in uh Puppet master axis termination he's a full moon guy and an asylum guy but uh me and paul have worked together a lot he's super ripped so he looks like a terminator not hard i got to make every terminator effect every bit of the props every i because I love Terminator so much, I went crazy on Terminators. I still don't have credit in the end, which is crazy. I have no idea how that happened. The producer was my roommate. But uh, but at the end of the day, I prefer the experience on Terminators over Terminator 3. Because I wasn't just there to make one small cog in the system and ship it off the set and hope it looks good. I designed, created, and pulled off every effect in Terminators. And I was the guy on set shooting the blood cannon, applying the prosthetics. It was it was awesome. That's sick. That's actually amazing. Yeah. Um, and nobody knows about Terminators. I mean, unless you caught it on Sci-Fi Channel at midnight, or you know, you stumble across it on Tubi or something. But uh, for the people that do, it's a fun movie. And it's like, man, it snowed in LA while we were making. It was hard no, conditions, no. but it was like, it was it was awesome. And that. That's that punk rock level. Like it may not have the biggest audience, but there's a bigger appreciation of being there. All right. And you spoke on how you said a fan came to the museum before. What's it like seeing and getting like having conversations with people that have witnessed your creation and like have an appreciation for it? How much time do they give you? I do horror conventions almost on a monthly basis. Like I meet and greet fans regularly. It's kind of my job. I fly around, I do the mad monster party, uh, which is in Arizona and twice in North Carolina a year. I do all the horror conventions. And, uh, and also at the museum, I meet fans every day. And uh, 
it's one of the reasons I didn't know this building, the museum, but it's the coolest part about the museum. Cause I make a movie like Terminators where I'm like, God, I loved every bit of that. I put so much heart and soul in this and nobody sees it. Right. But somebody pays and goes through my museum. They'll see props from Terminators. They'll come back out and they'll be like, man, this was awesome. I love this. This reminds me of my childhood. This is, you get the immediate feedback and yeah. what builds endorphins and dopamine. Like all the, we're all, all artists have egos, right? And I'm a Leo. I love my mane to be stroked. So it's like getting these people to tell, and I'm like, oh, shucks. Thanks guys. Like, I'm so glad you liked it. But inside I'm like fireworks, you know, right? right. all the hard work paid off, you know, but with the movies, you put so much hard work into these movies, man. And, uh, then you put them out and you just get shit on by reviewers that think they can do it better. And it's like, screw you guys. You know what? That shit's hard. It is hard to make a movie. So with all of that, like negativity and people constantly like wanting to pick your work apart, what do you think is your driving force behind your career and why you keep doing what you do? My wife. So You've heard me say this. I'm not a naturally gifted artist. Like I'm not a guy who can just come out of the room sculpting, you know, beautiful sculptures. I, I work very hard at what I do. Uh, but what my wife has said about artists is, what defines an artist is somebody has the uncompromising ability to have to create, and that's it. It really doesn't matter the feedback or if I was homeless living in Slab City, I'd be doing the same thing. I, I have a innate need to create what's in my head. So uh, whether it's for the museum or for the movies, uh, uh, I just directed my first film and that was a new journey that I had never uh, seen. You know, I never knew how, um, how I, I just never knew how rewarding it would be. To, to do all aspects of it like that. So, which is weird because I'm a control freak. You think I would have thought of this earlier, but there's just a, a need to create and a need to tell stories and a need to make art. And whether people like it or not, they, I don't, that, that really isn't the end goal. The end goal is to get it from my brain to the table, to the museum, you know? Yeah. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a broad question, but in all your time, you've gone to a million conventions and seen fans. You've, you've seen them come and see your own work. What do you think it is about the horror genre in general that just captures people so well, much? I, I think part of it is conventions, kind of. Uh, and and now social media. It'll be interesting to see in 20 years what happens, because when I was 14 or 15, and I went to my first horror convention. I stepped into a hotel in New Jersey and it was just a room of like-minded people that liked horror. But at that time I liked horror, but so I had seen Scream, right? I, I tell people this a lot. I went into going to see Scream as as a skater kid. You know, I was Randy with a fresh jive shirt. When I left Scream, I wanted to be Randy because of his cinephile knowledge of horror films. He was the kid with the fresh jive shirt and baggy pants that knew everything about Michael Myers, Jason, carry the howling so that clicked for me because i already loved like the fantasy art and comic books and stuff and i'm sure as uh we're probably around the same generation but i i mean i grew up on jim lee's x-men and like i knew every character and their storyline and where this was going and um so i when i saw randy and his his spitting out all this knowledge of of horror 
Like I, I left that theater, that guy, that was now me, you know, and uh, I did, uh, I dove into it and I, I became a horror aficionado. So I went to a horror convention and there's other like-minded people there that, that are horror aficionados with patches and stickers. And, uh, and then I stepped into a, a conference room with Kane Hodder uh, who played Jason and Gunnar Hansen who played uh, Leatherface, uh, Tom Savini's down the hall. And they talk to you like you're a person. They treat you like you're a human. This is before the internet. This is before social media. You know, this is like 96, you know. So you never believe you're going to see the guy inside the TV in person when you live in Pennsylvania. That's just that's just not real. It's not Beverly Hills 90210. So when I walk in there and, and I'm talking to Kane and he's treating me, taking pictures and choking us and signing our autographs, had I gone to a, if there was such thing as a comedy convention that year and I could have met Jim Carrey and Woody Harrelson and, you know, go on and on, anybody from Saturday Night Live and they treated me like a person, I may be a comedy writer or something. I might sure. I might have entered the, the, the world of comedy uh, film, but it was going to this horror convention where these icons that you've watched on TV treat you like a person. You're on the other side of the fence now and you feel like this is achievable. Tom Savini sitting at a table selling Leatherface masks. I can, I can become what what these guys are, you know, and I can ask them for advice. And um, and I see that today. Like I treat fans at conventions like I'm meeting a friend or a student. And I'm if they tell me they want to, oh, I, I meet so many people in their 30s and 40s. Oh, I've always wanted to do what you do. And I say, well. What stopped you? I just never had the money. You know, I got a real job and this and that. What do you do on the weekends? I mean, do you work seven days a week? Because what do you do on the weekends? Because you can make stuff at your kitchen table. It, it's not hard to do what I do. Oh, yeah, but I was just wanted to be involved with the movies. Well, make stuff first because you can't get involved with the movies until you know how to do it. Yeah. There's a jumping point. I met this guy, Mike Lassell, in uh, Fort Myers, Florida who's worked at Costco for 23 years. Oh, I always want to do what you do. I was like, you know what, man? Can you get any vacation time? He's like, yeah, I got a week off. And I said, all right. Now this guy had been sculpting in his living room and stuff. He had a little office with some little trinkets and stuff he had made. He tried. So I took him on Killjoy Goes to Hell and he did the whole movie with me. And uh, got himself a credit, got to apply, make up the Trenhaga. Like this dude, I. I just gave him the gift of like, look, you can do Hollywood stuff. He still works at Costco, but he gets to say, I worked on a movie once. Right. That's amazing. That's very special to say. Um, special effects. So obviously being a special effects artist and working on a project. It's makeup effects. Makeup effects. Special effects artist blows up cars. Special effects artist smashes holes in walls. We do effects through makeup. That's makeup effects artist. Thank you for the correction. With makeup effects, you guys do a lot of prosthetics, and a big critique with modern day horror movies today is the oversaturation of CGI versus the natural prosthetics. What would be your feelings on that in particular? It's evolution, and it's unstoppable. So, you know, I I'm a pros I'm a prosthetic guy. There's there's two good sides to this coin. The uh, so I was involved with the Texas Chainsaw video game that just came out. Uh, or it's not out, not out yet. It's still in development. I've been on every day of shooting thus far, and I'm watching my career slip away because I'm not there as an effects artist. They don't need effects artists. They're doing it all digitally. It's a digital game. 
but I'm there as uh, kind of, I was brought on by Kane Hodder and he, uh, uh, the same guy who I met in a room when I was 14. I work with him on the regular now. And he brought me there because I'm a, a huge Sex Chainsaw fan. He, he, he fashions me an expert. So I was there to make sure he got what he needed and he could, I had masks for him to wear so he could feel like Leatherface. They wouldn't shoot with them, but he could see the constrictions of the vision and I made him a fat suit and I, ga I gave him uh, accurate chainsaws to the era. But all that being said, while Kane is acting in a motion capture suit in a floor with nobody, I'm watching on a monitor, Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface acting because it's already done, the digital work. When he performs on monitor, he is Leatherface. And I'm watching the few, like, I didn't sculpt that. I didn't make that. I'm not, he cuts a girl's head off. I didn't make, it's it's in the game, but it didn't happen, you know? Right. Um, so it opened my eyes to a new perspective. I can't just say, fuck CGI, fuck CGI. I think you, maybe you know, I know Ethan knows uh, John Luchago really well. Yes. John Luchago is uh, incredible when it comes to digital effects and his digital effects augmenting my makeup effects is a beautiful thing. There's a shot in his bio slime, Victoria DeMar turns her head and she's all made up and looks crazy. Her eyes, her eyes go black and her tongue comes out and it's purple and it's like comes all the way down near her tits and back in her mouth. And it's like, that was digital. But with the makeup, I mean, it's, it's a seamless, beautiful, thing Guillermo del Toro does it the best probably blending physical but yeah I mean when I work on an asylum movie and I make a beautiful mega piranha puppet and then they just shoot without the puppet and make a digital mega piranha that looks stupid I don't I'm not happy about it but it's just the progression of a lot of people that are gamers that grew up playing video games they don't see that as poorly as I see that you know mm. But there's definitely a weird thing. Like, if you watch the digital Planet of the Apes, the newest Planet of the Apes, there's characters in that. There's Caesar, there's Bright Eyes, there's an orangutan. I don't know those characters. I can't draw them when I'm at, you know, a restaurant just on doodling on a napkin. But I can doodle Zira, Dr. Zaius, uh, Aldo from the original Planet of the Apes series. Like, I know those apes i know they what they look like i remember it i can't even remember what caesar's makeup looks like because the makeup's on top of digital it, it doesn't burn in my brain the way a physical makeup burns in my brain so it's a weird thing it, it almost goes hand in hand with the younger generation having no attention span due to youtube 10 minute videos like getting my kids to watch a feature film is insane because they are used to watching like clip shows you know right. so i think that digital stuff lends to them they have no problem i don't think younger people care about the digital because they grew up surrounded in a digital world you know and that's what's going to bring in this whole you know ready player one or whatever is going to happen for yeah. the metaverse and all that yeah because it's not it's entertainment for them to stare at that weird, soft, fake-looking person where with a horse head or something. You know, I don't know. It's a weird thing for me, but there are a lot of people out there that are still advocates of practical effects and physical 
And I work for these guys, the Mahal brothers, and they love practical creature suits, rubber monsters, you know, not cheesy rubber monsters. They want them to look badass, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's their thing. So in that same token, what are there any movies in particular you can think of that come to mind in which that was done in greatly rather than be big Hollywood or low budget? The, well, low budget probably is level a little self-explanatory because they do that majority there. But are there any, any bigger big movies? Practical yeah. effects really well. Mm. Um, when was the last great monster movie? I mean, it's tough because like there's elements in some of the Marvel movies. There's elements of great effects. Legacy effects puts out some awesome stuff, but it's so CG augmented. Um, like it's tough to think of like the last great creature effects in big budget movies uh hellboy you know guillermo, guillermo del toro's hellboy yeah uh, i love that stuff i mean that's still like 20 years ago um but anything guillermo del toro does is pretty mm. pretty on par and uh, uh scary stories to tell in the dark had some really amazing practical mm. a lot of cg augmentation but a lot of cool practical effects mm-hmm. But I hate, I'll be the one that uh, says it and everybody bashes me. I hate things like Stranger Things. Everybody's like, Stranger Things is such a throwback. Stranger Things is so vintage and nostalgic. Then why do they have digital fucking monsters? (laughs) All they do is talk about Rob Bottin and how he built the thing for the thing. Why don't they just put a guy in a rubber monster suit and make it throwback to the 80s? I don't understand why they're doing digital design and something that's supposed to look like 1985. It it drives me crazy. That's an interesting that's an interesting view on that. I love that actually. I've never thought about that like that. That's interesting mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. Um, it just takes you completely out of it. You know what was good with digital though? That's similar is uh, Super Eight. Super Eight mm-hmm. has a digital monster and it's set in the eighties. It's supposed to be throwback, but it's so fun. There's something different about it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. So do you, obviously you talked a lot about uh, creature. Psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman has incredible creature suits. And it's new. It's not big budget, but it's, you know, maybe a million dollars at least. Is that the the one with the the alien, I guess? He's like an alien yeah. that comes down? A little I, okay. girl. Yeah. yeah. Psycho Gorman is awesome. I've heard great things about that one. I, I, I watched like part of that. I don't think I watched the uh, entire movie in totality. It's very much like Steve Wang's The Giver. It's kind of like The Giver little bit of power ranger flair to it okay uh we talked a lot about creature films and how you feel about those but do you have a different perspective when it comes to poltergeist kind of stuff with ghost something uh along the lines of maybe paranormal activity i'm not into it i i just don't care uh i mean i i would work on stuff like that which i have but uh if i'm gonna do a supernatural thing i like more of like a scooby-doo vibe to it or Mm of being fake not that i don't believe in ghosts i i totally do i i've had experiences myself but i just not super into supernatural movies they kind of bore me that's fair, fair enough fair enough when it comes to your favorite stuff do you have any um favorite horror movies in your upbringing Because you said you grew up in a punk scene that was a little different than the norms or do you have any out of the box movies growing up that you would attribute to your your love of the genre yeah and so I like, I like fun stuff, you know? So when it comes to slasher films, I like stuff like Sleepaway Camp 2, uh, Friday 13th Part 4, 
Um, I love movies like Monster Squad, like kid adventure movies and stuff. I love, um, you know, as far as that punk stuff goes, that's where Trauma was huge for me because I don't, Terra Firmer, Tromeo and Juliet, uh, Class of Newcomb High, like that stuff, Return of the Living Dead, that was like my rebellion. I loved and it's funny because a lot of the movies I love, like Return of the Living Dead, Night of the Demons, those are now kind of like popular through Instagram. But when I was a kid, it was real weird. You know, like, oh God, that's the weirdo that that loves Return of the Living Dead stuff, you know? And it's weird because once Walking Dead happened, it was like, you weren't cool unless you like zombies. But when I was a kid, you weren't cool if you like zombies. So right. there's a, I don't know. Of course, all the Savini stuff, Dawn of the Dead, Martin, um, I liked everything, you know. I'm, I'm not super picky either. I'm not judgmental. There's not, I don't, not the guy that rips apart movies. I love film. So it could be anything from a romantic comedy, chick flick to Bad News Bears. I'm, I'm a big fan of movies. Uh, Ninja Turtles, probably my favorite creature movie of all time. Uh, I think the, the, um, the, goals reached in Ninja Turtles people don't understand like before Ninja Turtles they didn't tint foam latex but but due to the tearing in the suits while they were doing all the acrobats they had to figure out a way to not get white tears in these green turtles so uh, they learned to tint foam latex and the animatronics in Nin Ninja Turtles is second to none people don't really get it but when you watch the first uh, Ninja Turtle movie those suits are flawless. There's not one moment you see behind the mask and see their eyes. There's not, I mean, they're doing insane stuff and they, they're based on the, the turtle designs. They lend themselves to makeup effects because of course the seams for the arms are covered with arm pads and the same thing with the knees and the belts and like they're seamless. They're, they're perfect. That all being said, uh, that's one of the last questions we'll get into. If you could pick any movie out of any of the ones you talked about, any IPs out currently that you could go back and work on personally on the makeup effects, on, what would you choose? Leprechaun. Anything in the yeah. Leprechaun. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> funny. It's the only series that got away from me, man. Like I've done every, I've done, I've worked on my entire life goals, dreams. You know, there's not anybody or any one thing that I wish I could have been a part of that I haven't been a part of. Um, and uh, one of the cool things is like I never got to work on a Friday the 13th film but I've put Jason from part 2 back into his prosthetics uh, Warrington Gillette for photo ops at conventions I've built an Uber Jason suit for Kane Hodder a Friday the 13th part 8 suit for Kane Hodder so I've, I've got to make Jason on the guys that played Jason you know I got to do Paul Muzzer from Dawn of the Dead the uh, bald plaid shirt zombie I mean I've got to be a it's cool. The, the photo ops has allowed me to step into my childhood and check it off the list. The one series, and I ended up being part of Puppet Masters and I did uh, Poultry Guys for Trauma and I've knocked every childhood goal except for Leprechaun. Like if that's the one that got away. So how do you feel about the, I think they made a remake. The most recent one was like, what? It's not a remake, it's a direct sequel to the first one. So it's Leprechaun Returns. And it's incredible. The effects are incredible. They shot in South Africa, or I would have fought hard to be on that movie. Mm. The problem is, I don't want to be on that movie as an assistant or a mm. uh, or a piece. I want to do Leprechaun. So before uh, Leprechaun Returns, Gabe Bartalos has done every Leprechaun movie. That's his 
franchise. So uh, now the torch got passed to a bunch of new people. Warwick Davis doesn't play the Leprechaun, but it's uh, and and they did in South Africa. So hopefully, I mean, I have a goal to get in touch with. I've worked for Barry Barnholtz, the producer. I did four movies for him. So if I can ever get in touch with him and 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 pitch him, I would love to. Uh, I would love to not only uh, do makeup effects on Leprechaun, I want to direct a Leprechaun. Right. so dope. So for any of the young and up, up and coming people that want to potentially get into this industry and do what you do, what advice would you give them? So I used to say, you got to work hard. You got to take pictures. You got to pound the pavement, talk to everybody you can and build all the content. Danny's heard all this. I got a new perspective on all this. And I was on a documentary, uh, for G4 like 12 years ago or something with Rob Zombie and it's cutting back and forth from me and my wife making this low budget movie to Rob Zombie making Halloween 2 and it cuts between the two of us and kind of juxtaposes what it's like to make no budget movies and they ask him that same question and he goes if you have to ask for advice go home if you have to ask for advice you're not going to make it and in the last two years I've decided that's true man like I didn't ask any, I mean, I did ask, I always, I still ask people for advice, but it didn't matter what they said. It doesn't matter if they say what lines up with my opinion. I'm still going to do, but when I was 18 years old, I called the Kyoto brothers. They made batteries, not included critters. They directed and created killer clowns from outer space. I called them and I said, I'll sweep your floors. I'll clean your shop. I'll do anything. I'll do runs. I'll get you lunch, whatever you want. I just want to come work there. And they said, go home kid. Computers are going to take over our industry. This is in 1999. They said, computers are going to take over our industry. Go back to Pennsylvania, get a college degree and, and, and get a job. Like this isn't a career. This isn't a future. Well, 10 years prior to, or later, I uh, worked with Charlie Kyoto and I told him that. And he's like, I never would have said that. And I was like, you did. You told me that. And now I'm a successful effects artist because I didn't listen to you, you know? Yeah. And that's how I feel like if you got to ask somebody for permission or advice to do what you want to do eh, you're probably not going to make it well thank you so much on that insight is there any upcoming projects you've been working on besides the the Texas Chainsaw thing that you want to promote or plug while you're here um there's a movie that I like I commented on I directed a film back I'm not talking about it yet so keep an eye out I will announce it uh when it's done in the can and it is done being edited right now but when we have like trailers and distribution lined up i'll start talking about it gotcha. um, but uh other than that like the monster museum in boulder city nevada it's just minutes off the strip and it's ever-changing it's incredible it's a fun time um and uh i'm about to go jump in the fire literally with the the mahals again on a movie called devil's night it's a it's a movie. It's medieval. We're shoot. We just finished a movie called Bermuda Island in Puerto Rico. We shot in Puerto Rico. It was incredible. And now we're headed to uh, right outside Houston, Texas, I think, to a real deal castle with Kevin Sorbo. So, cool. you know, uh, that's the kind of stuff I, I live for is is like I know when I was 14 years old, I would love this movie. So I'm excited to do it. So keep your eyes out on Devil's Night. If you guys are Indiegogo people, they have they run campaign. You would already know about it. They run campaigns and they're 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 nuts on the Indiegogo. Dope. 
Well, uh, for anybody that's interested, we will have um, Tom's social media information. Anything else you can find him at in the description of this video below. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Then and Out podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Awesome.